the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. I'm God in the flesh. And what does God in the flesh have to say? He even takes the terminology from Daniel, where the Ancient of Days bestows a kingdom that lasts forever among, upon the Son of Man. And he calls himself the Son of Man. I mean, when people say, I don't know who Jesus is, or Jesus claimed to be, never claimed to be God, he never, all he was was a teacher, you can't read the first three chapters of John's gospel and come away with that understanding. You just can't. I can see the promised land, though there's pain within the plan, there is victory in the end, your love is my battle cry. Hello and welcome to today's edition of Grace to Live with Pastor Keith Crosby, lead pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are delighted that you've chosen to spend time with us here on the broadcast today studying God's Word. We would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, we'll be continuing with our Decoding Jesus teaching series. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us again to the Gospel of John Chapter 3. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study. Today we're going to continue our series on the Gospel of John. We're talking about the historical Jesus. We're studying the historical Jesus from the most reliable historical text there is, and that is the Gospels. In this case, the Gospel of John. Uh, Last time we were together and I preached, we talked about the message of Jesus. And we understood that Jesus had a particular message. And that message is is that our salvation comes from outside of us. We are born from above. That we have to be twice born because we all are born physically. But there has to be a spiritual rebirth. And that Jesus is the only means of that spiritual rebirth, which doesn't always play that well in our 21st century society. Being born from above speaks to being conceived from above. And in the the English text, it's translated born again. Our salvation is a great gift. And today, what we're going to do is talk a little bit more about the message of Jesus. We're going to continue in John chapter 3. We're a little bit beyond his uh, interaction with Nicodemus, but still in the neighborhood. We're in John 3, 16 through 21. And let me just set this up for you. I've entitled this message, Why Good Things Happen to Bad People. And I know you're probably saying, where on earth did you get a title like that? Well, you'll have to wait around to find out. But basically, 
It sounds like a strange title for a message, but when you really think about the gospel, God sent his son to save those who were lost. Bad people, right? Uh, the Bible tells us there's none righteous, no, not one. But I actually co-opted the title from another a, a Christian thinker who was uh, lecturing at the Harvard Business School on ethics. And he was invited to speak on why bad things happen to good people from a Christian worldview. And as he thought about it, well, there aren't any good people. They're all bad people. That's why they need saving. So he turned the question on its ear. And partly out of John 3, 16 through 21, he presented the gospel to these business students and helped them and asked them to question why do, why do good things happen to bad people. So that's what we're going to do today. Our text is uh, John chapter 3, verses 16 through 21. And John 3.16, if you've ever drank out of an in-and-out cup, you know it's on the bottom. Some of us are old enough to remember the guy in the end zone in the NFL games holding up the sign. But John 3.16 is part of a larger block of thought. And, you know, we're kind of soundbite people. And a lot of times we forget that John 3.16 is the introduction. is just a piece of what Jesus is talking about here in verses 16 through 21. And so today... We're going to look at it a little, a little bit differently, and we're going to look at it in context, not as a standalone verse, not as a soundbite. So let's read the passage, and then we'll work through it together. John three sixteen through 21. Jesus talking to Nicodemus. This is the aftermath. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So this is the larger block of thought. And what I want to do is sort of just talk you through it now, kind of inch by inch, and then we'll get into the heart of the message. So we start out with John 3.16, For God so loved the world. Here we see the motive, love, right? We also see this. There's a lot of confusion about the word world there. What does it mean? Some people think it means the environment, the oceans, the trees, and including everything. And to some extent, the Bible does teach that redemption is uh, cosmic in the sense that the whole world groans under the weight of sin. But what we'll see in the context here is world refers, refers to all kinds of people from all kinds of places. How do we know that? Look later on in verse 16, that whoever believes should not perish but have eternal life. It doesn't say that whatever. It's using whoever referring to people. And so a lot of times, you know, in the Calvinist-Arminian debate, people talk about what does this mean? What this means here, outside that debate, but in the text, is God so loved all kinds of people in all kinds of places that he gave his only son that whoever should believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. That's the scope of the love of God. And then he talks about the reason for Christ coming into the world. And you begin to see the problem with the world. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. 
The goal is salvation. The goal is restoration. The world is under, is, has a terminal illness called sin, and it kills. And it needed a rescuer. And so God sent Jesus to rescue. He is the cure for what ails us. In verse 18, we see this, that God does love and God does save, but God also judges. You know, a lot of times we like to think about only the good stuff and not the sad stuff. We like to say, well, you know, my God would never, and then we feel like, you know, send somebody to hell, judge this out of the other. But the bottom line is, is Jesus, is it described Jesus being full of grace and truth? God is full of grace and judgment. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And don't misunderstand me when I say he's full of grace and judgment. I'm not calling him a wrathful, mean God. But the bottom line is, he stands ready, willing, and able to rescue, to forgive anybody from anywhere, no matter what they've done or where they came from or what they used to believe. But only those who embrace Christ receive the rescue, and the rest are condemned. It's an inescapable truth, and they're condemned already because they've already been living a life apart from God. They've already been seeking their own autonomy, uh, and they refuse the gift that God offers. Verse 19, and this is the judgment. This is the evaluation. This is the sentence. This is the declaration. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light because their works were evil. I said this earlier when I was teaching an ABF class. People are like tubes of toothpaste, or people are like tea bags. When you get a tube of toothpaste and you squeeze it, what comes out? Hopefully toothpaste. Uh, what's inside of the tube comes out. And when, the, when Jesus came into the world and preached his message, and God sent the light, you know, in him was light, and the light was the life of men, right? And the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness does not comprehend it, John 1. The light revealed what was inside of people. So that squeeze, he put the squeeze on, you know, or you put a tea bag in hot water, and what comes out of the tea bag? It's not ice cream, right? It's tea, the heat releases what's in the bag, and the light exposes what's in the heart. Look at verse 20. For everyone who does, not, who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. You can see God birthing people from above because those people come to the light. And you can see the wicked remaining in their sins and trespasses who want nothing to do with God, rejecting the light because the light, Jesus Christ, their response to Jesus Christ reveals what's inside of them. And so, you know, even look in our world today, most crimes are committed at night, right? They're not committed in broad daylight, and Jesus is the light that reveals what is in man and what mankind wants. And so why do good things happen to bad people? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to look at the message of Jesus, and we're going to understand, and we're going to ask and answer three questions based on the message of Jesus here in this passage so that we can understand the grace of God and the justice of God better. And when you think about that God sent his son to rescue bad people like me and bad people like you, bad people like us, we didn't deserve it. And the question is, well, why is anybody saved at all? Why do good things happen to bad people? And the answer to that question is this. Because God chose to love and to rescue. 
God chose to love and to rescue. Look at John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world, all kinds of people from all kinds of places, that he gave his only son, his one-of-a-kind son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God, or because God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God chose to love. Why do good things happen to bad people? Why are people saved at all? Why is, why is anybody saved? Because God chose to love and to rescue. God loves. God took the initiative. We see that in 1 John 4.19. What does 1 John 4.19 say? We love because he first loved us. In Romans 9.15 and 16, we see this. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So it does not depend on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. God chose to love and to rescue. Romans 5, 6, and 8 says this. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for what? For who? The good people. No, the ungodly. Verse 8, but God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, still uninterested in him, Christ died for us. What does this mean? You know, a lot of people say, I don't like being called a bad person. Well, that's the way it is. That's what I am. That's what you are. We're bad people. We are unlovable, and we were undesirable. But God so loved these people he created in his image and likeness that he sent his son to die for bad people like you and I. And his motive here is love. And, you know, there's a passage that I did not put in the notes, but you might want to write this down. And if you can, turn there to Ezekiel 16, 3 through 6, because this is a picture of God choosing to love Israel. And And he's talking to Israel when it's in rebellion, and he says, so why did I choose you? Why did I love you? Why are you God's chosen people? He says, you weren't special. It weren't because you were big. It wasn't because you were magnificent, and then he gives this really graphic description of how they were and how he is. And it says, thus says the Lord of God to Jerusalem, your origin and your birth are of the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite and your mother was a Hittite. And as for your birth on the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt and wrapped in swaddling clothes. No eye pitied you to do any of these things for you out of compassion. But you were cast out into an open field, and you were abhorred, and on the day that you were on the day that you were born, and when I passed by, I saw you wallowing in your blood, and I said to you in your blood, Live. I said to you in your blood, Live. What we see here is this we were wallowing in the mess of our sin like Israel. And God looked at us and said, I'm coming to get you. God had pity on us when we weren't pitiful. You know, we didn't when we weren't lovable. God chose to love Israel the way he's chosen to love us as Christians. Those people uh, that he initiated, that he sent his son to die for, he didn't have to. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. He loved. He took the initiative. He took the first steps. For God so loved the world, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Why do good things happen to bad people? Because God chose to love the unlovable. Now, you may ask the question, well, wait a minute, bad people, why do people really need to be saved? I mean, you know, what's, what's going on here? Why do people need saving? Why are people condemned in the first place? Why, why, why all these hard, harsh, seemingly harsh words? 
Why are people condemned to hell in the first place? Answer, because men, man, people choose to sin and reject forgiveness. Because they choose to sin and reject forgiveness. Where do we see that? We see that in verses 18 and 19. Look with me there. For whoever believes in him is not condemned. Those who trust Christ are not condemned. Those who embrace Christ are not condemned. Those who believe and embrace and receive the message are not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. They were already condemned. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Anything else? Yeah, verse 19. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Therefore, everyone who refuses forgiveness remains as they were. Therefore, while some receive better than they deserve, forgiveness, grace, love, others push the gift away and and experience what they do deserve. This is the message throughout the Bible. You see it in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. What we earn, what we deserve is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 8, 6, and 7. For the mind set on the flesh, who hates the light, is death. But the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And it cannot because it loves darkness better than light. It is unwilling and therefore unable to embrace the light. Instead, so forgiveness is offered, the gift is set before it, and it pushes it away because it likes things just the way they are. That's why we read in John 1, 11, and 12, and 13, he came to his own, and his own received him not. But as many as did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God who were born of God. Some people just won't come. Some people just won't listen. Several years ago, my wife and children and I were walking at the beach, and in the beach where we grew up in Savannah, Georgia, there's this bend in the beach and there is a riptide and an undertow. It's, it's a perfect storm for death. And they have these huge signs that say, do not swim here. And the people from the area, do not swim there. But what happened instead was, there were two guys swimming there. And I felt bad, because I knew, you know, it's not easy to swim in a riptide, particularly if you're a tourist. So I went up to them and I said, hey, excuse me, I don't want to, I'm not trying to invade your space or tell you what to do. But you see these signs here, you know, there's an undertow here, and there's a riptide, and unless you're experienced, you, know, you could drown. They basically blew me off because they enjoyed what they were doing, and they didn't need a message of rescue or a message of salvation. Now, I didn't check the papers to see what happened next, but you know, we went on, and they went on, and hopefully they survived. But why are people condemned? Because they reject the message of rescue. Why? Number three, because there is no neutrality. There is no neutrality. There aren't good people and bad people, and people in between. That's a human construct. A lot of times, as human beings, we like to sit in judgment over God and the way that he works and what he writes in his word and the way that he operates. And so we come up with these scenarios, but we're asking the wrong question because we're looking for the wrong answer. That's why that Christian thinker turned that question on its ear. Why do bad things happen to good people? No, why do good things happen to bad people? In Psalm 19, Verses 1 through 6, it makes it very, very clear that the heavens are, are declaring the glory of God and day to day pours forth speech and there's no place where their voice isn't heard. In Romans 1.18 through 19, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress 
hold down, ignore the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. In John 3, 20 and 21, we read this. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. The believer wants to glorify God. The unbeliever doesn't want anything to do with him. There is no neutrality. There is no, you know, we try to break things into categories, believer, unbeliever, and in that unbeliever category, atheist and agnostic. Those categories are human concoctions. In reality, there is no such thing as an atheist, and there is no such thing as an agnostic. There are only people who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And whether somebody lives on a hill in Kathmandu, or somebody lives in Sheboygan, Wisconsin, or in Sunnyvale, California, they can look around them and sense the presence of God. They can see his handiwork, which he has made visible. His invisible attributes, Roman tells us, are made visible by everything that he's made. And they can seek him. We know that God is a rewarder of those who seek him, but they must first believe that he is. Or they cannot. And so there is no neutrality. There are just people who seek God, and there are people who won't. And so we can't, we can't pretend. We can't set ourselves up in judgment over God and say, oh, well, what about the poor person who's just ignorant? Nobody's ignorant. There is something in us. God has created us with in his image and likeness, and we have certain attributes. We, we, we have an inert, and an, excuse me, an innate, an innate morality. We know right from wrong. I've talked about it before. When you see a little kid about to do something wrong and he looks around, he knows. She knows. People know right from wrong, viscerally. And people know that when you look at this create, just like you look at this room, you don't think this room happened by itself, do you? You can see the hand of man everywhere. And when you see the creation out there, the sun rising and setting on schedule, not randomly, you see the design. You, see, you look at the complexity of the human body, the human brain. You know that it came from somewhere and there was no accident. Everybody is without excuse. And so there are people who will not come to God because they don't want their deeds exposed. And there are people who come to God because they want God and they want everybody to know that God is and God has saved them because God sent his son in love to die for their sin. So there is no neutrality. Good things happen to bad people because God chose to love. He chose to send his son. He chose to rescue. Men need rescue because human beings choose to sin and choose to reject forgiveness. And if God didn't intervene, we would be lost. And every human being, every man and woman and child is without excuse. There is no neutrality. And why does God do this? What is love? And this isn't in your notes, and this isn't in the slides. I want you to think about this. What is love? We think of romantic love. We think of teammate love, you know, and stuff like that. But sacrificial love, the real love, the biblical love, is God choosing to benefit other people through righteous words, actions, and deeds with no thought of what he's going to get in return. What are you going to give God? He owns everything. Real love, love that you have, agape love, sacrificial love, is, and I'm just summarizing 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 8, is choosing to benefit other people through righteous words, actions, and deeds. And God chose to benefit us that while we were godless, while we were still helpless, at just the right time, Christ died for us. Pastor Keith Crosby on this special edition of the Grace to Live radio broadcast. Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening today. 
In the uncertainty of the COVID-19 crisis, many people within the Hillside Church community and all over Santa Clara County are in the middle of of financial hardship, and we need to pray for them. And we would ask you to pray for us as well. We want to thank you for listening and supporting this ministry. But it is a listener-supported ministry, and in as much as we covet your prayers, we also ask you to consider a, a financial contribution to the ongoing work of this radio broadcast. Grace to Live Radio provides encouragement to so many people in the outside world who can't make it to church. And you can be part of that ministry by supporting us financially as you support us prayerfully. This is Keith Crosby, and I want to thank you for your prayers and your encouragement. With the current guidelines in place by our president and the local leaders here in San Jose, Hillside Church will be holding our worship service 100% online for now. So please remember our website, hillside.org. You can view our Sunday morning service there as well as to keep informed with updates on what's happening here at the church as we walk through this time together. Just click on the COVID-19 response button for updates on ministry activities, resources for your children, as well as important information from the County Health Commission. And you can also connect with us on social media. The church Facebook page at Hillside Church San Jose, as well as our Instagram page, at Hillside San Jose. Don't worry if you missed any of this information. You can access everything by visiting our website, hillside.org. We want to thank you so very much for spending this time with us here on the Grace to Live radio broadcast. I'm your host, Kevin Reeves, and on behalf of Pastor Keith and all of us here at Hillside Church, We want to encourage you with our prayer that the Lord will continue to richly bless you and protect you. So please keep looking up, and thanks for listening.